Welcome to our weekly we mean weekly Wednesday night shear. The Yonishmas of Fraim Chananyam Tavlipa, Chanam Chaim Vibarach, Shmuel Yaakov. Shmuel Yaakov Ben Mesha and Jeanette Bas Ibrahim Akoyim and Dorit Bas Moshe Levi. Tonight is the night after Chof Menachem Ov, the yard site, as we know, of the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchok, Hamakubul, Rav, Tzadik, Agoyin, Rebbe, all the titles that are never enough for such a person. The Rebbe used to fabring, of course, on Chof Menachemov. Camps used to come in for the fabringen. And and one sikh in particular, the Rebbe spoke about this fabringen, that like the Rebbe said it should be a private thing. Why is it a public issue, his father's passing? And he said because his father was a public servant. In essence, a public servant, and as a public servant, his demise, which was the demise that Rebbe describes, Rebbe says that he was tortured in prison, and therefore through his tortures, because of his tortures, he prematurely died relatively young, and therefore he was as a Kaddish of such, sta- such stature, such magnitude it should be a public thing it's a public hilula it's not something that only affects the Rebbe himself it affects all the at large uh, one night, 11pm someone was knocking chief rabbi of the Rebbe Petrov's door which is Rebbe Yitzchok older woman looked around she was very very nervous apparently she wanted to make sure only the rabbi and his family were there and she says rabbi I come from a very distant city I can't tell you where in an hour midnight my daughter and son will also be here they're both very high level government positions and it's extremely dangerous for them to do this I begged and pleaded they go to a rabbi who would arrange a proper wedding for them, a Jewish wedding. And they promised they would. But the condition that the chuppah would take place in your home, Rebbe, nowhere else. And I came you to you in advance to warn you, to give you what's called in America a heads up. At exactly midnight, the couple arrived. They were brought into a side room immediately. No one would see them. The rabbi prepared all the paperwork. He needed to get a meeting together, of course. It was after midnight. The streets were empty. Nobody could be seen. Chosen, the rabbi, had two. You need eight more men. But this is how it works. And tonight has to be the wedding. And we couldn't afford to delay it at all. 
he needed to get eight kosher Jews. Kosher also that can be relied upon that to keep a secret. Otherwise, the rabbi and the couple would be in danger. Within a half hour, the room had nine men. Only one was missing. What did the rabbi do? In Rebbe building, a young Jew was assigned by the government. His job was the head of the housing committee. And he was responsible for keeping tabs on any irregular activity. Especially in the home of the rabbi. And more so to verify that no religious ceremonies took place there. The rabbi sent a messenger asking him to come. He arrived and the told him he wanted him as the tenth man of the minion. So he could conduct the Jewish wedding. He jumped. Me? He, he jumped like, like a snake just bit him. The rabbi said, yeah, you... Levitzko said, yes, you. The young man rushed to the windows, closed all the shutters, sat down quietly, alertly, watched the unfolding events. The Levitzko brought a big tablecloth to serve the chuppah. Four people standing there were living posts. They held it up, four corners. Ksubu was drawn up. The bride and the groom were summoned from their hiding place in another room. The bride's face was veiled. The groom tried to cover his face too, so nobody would recognize him. It was now already 1.30 in the morning. And the bride and groom hurried to vacate the premises, and so did everybody else. So the ceremony therefore began. No candles were lit. The Chassan Kala was scared to be seen. They went around seven times, Kala went around seven times customarily. The rabbi arranged, he didn't see the condition. Made a bracha on the wine. The groom put on a ring. Sariyat Mugadeshes. Gandikt. Everybody left except for two people. These were people who held the Communist Party cards. They took the cards out of their pockets, approached the Levitzchuk, and said emotionally, As of now, Rabbi, we are with you. We don't want part of you. We don't want to, we don't want to part from you. All of this, they pointed at their communist cards, is nothing. When we're together with you, Rabbi. This is a typical example of how Rebbe Yitzchok led his life. He was exiled because of the religious crimes that he committed in Russia. He was exiled to quite a distance to Kazakhstan, Talmata. After his arrest, he was nobody knew what was happening with him. A long story. 
ultimately as we said before excuse me, when he arrived in, in, the Nep- in uh, Almata in Kazakhstan he didn't have even ink or paper to write his Kedusha Teira so his wife, Rebbe Tzinchana, she arrived there until she found him. Story of its own. She made the ink. Physically made ink. For him to be able to write his Kedusha Teira. He had the Sefer Zayah the Holy Zahar, and he wrote in the margins of the Sefer, he wrote his Chidushim, his explanations of the Zahar. Today it's printed as the Kutulev Yitzchak on the Zahar. At one point in time, I'm not good with dates, I'm sorry, the Rebbe instituted during the Fabrengs and Shabbos a Rashi Sicha, and also added a sicha on the Kutlev Yitzchak on the Pasha. It was on the 40th Yatzer of, of the Rebbe's father. Today is 75 years. So count back 35 years ago. The Rebbe also would say a sicha on Rambam and during, the, during from Pesach till the Rosh Hashanah, also on Pichyavis. The Rebbe was very, very appreciative, or better put, the Rebbe couldn't thank enough those people that were involved in helping his father and mother. Even after he was nifted and wanted to care of the grave and everything else, the Rebbe was forever indebted to them. The Rebbe said, you did what I had to do. I wasn't able to. And the Rebbe, till the, Rebbe till the last days always praised, thanked and blessed those that gave COVID to the Rebbe's father. In today's day and age there's a tremendous pilgrimage that goes for Chofman Achamov to Almata. Mind you, Almata is not Florida. Neither in distance nor in weather, obviously. It's approximately six hours due east of Moscow. Six, seven hours. Flight. So just imagine how Rablevik never had to sleep there. In prison, while the Rablevik was in prison, till he was sent to Almata, he suffered many beatings. As I said before, that I've explained, this literally shortened his life. But Ablevik was an example of how a Yid needs to live a full life. And 
the Rebbe is the living example of the respect, how one needs to respect and honor their mother and father. Rebbe Sinchana once told somebody, she, since the Rebbe's Bar Mitzvah, she never saw his back. He always backed away from her when he left. But even for his father, when he was able to, whatever he was able to do, there was never a limit. And unfortunately for the Rebbe, he was not able to get his father out of Kazakhstan, not able to bring him to America. Ultimately, his mother did come to America, though. And the Reb Levik is buried there in Almata. Today there's an entire oil around him. And the city has become a vibrant city just for Khafav. Literally hundreds, probably thousands of people are there. So, uh, his yard site, his Jamie Lula. And all the other Hilulas of this week. May we merit to properly respect and give respect to those that have passed. May we merit to have them pray on our behalf. And be for each and every one of us. And may we be zeche to the ultimate nevuah of Hakitzerano Sheikh Neofar, Vehem Besechom of the all will come back once again, will be resurrected, and will be brought by Mashiach Tzidkenu to Yushalayim Mirakadish. This week's parsha, now let's return back to the regular shear, is Parsha's Ekev. It is the second of the Shiva Dinachemta. There are seven, as we said, weeks after Tishabov. There are weeks of condolence, known as Shiva the Nechemta. The first one starting with Nachmu Nachmu Ami, and continuing Pasha Ekev, etc. to Rosh Hashanah. Next Shabbos, we'll talk about him next week, hopefully, is Shabbos Rishchidish. And therefore the Haftar is not the regular Haftar of the Shivdinachemta, but rather the Haftar of Shabbos, Rishchidish. It's also Machar Chidish. And hopefully we'll be able to explain the Sikha of the Rebbe, which explains what that has to do. The Haftar of Rishchidish also has to do with Nechemta with Nechama. Back to focus on this week's Pasha Vahoya Ekev Tishmun. Akev is known as a heel. Akev is when you will come to pass that you will listen. Rashi says, Why is it used the word Akev, the heel? This is right in the beginning of the passage, the first Pasuk, chapter 7, verse 12, Perek Zayin Pasuk Yudbeis. Rashi says, this 
the simple mitzvahs that one steps on with their ankle, with their heel, those mitzvahs are the ones that are important to listen to as well. And we find other explanations, Ekev Tishmun, Ekev is Lashon Ikvase the Meshicha. You hear the footsteps of Mashiach. Which means to say, Havahoya, Lashon of Simcha, joy, will come in the Ikvase Mashiach Tishmun, before Bias Mashiach, Yidin will be Mekayim Teira, and listen to Teira, and hear, and listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What are the two explanations? How do we connect the two explanations? What happened to Scranton? There he is. Phew. I just asked what happened to Scranton. Oh. I didn't prepare a picture of this. You know, not be happy. Okay. These two explanations complement one another. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, where the Holy Temple stood, and there was the revelation of the Shekhinah, Jews felt the value, they felt the preciousness of Tehra Mitzvahs. And they did them, they completed them with Tainuk, with pleasure. Masha'en came today in the time of Golos, exile, with the Cheshachichasa Oretz, the darkness envelops the world. And unfortunately we don't have, we don't merit the revelation of the Shekhinah. Especially when it comes to the time of Ikvas of the Mashiach, the last days before Mashiach comes, which the darkness will be darker as the darkness before the dawn of the day. People will not necessarily feel the value and they won't necessarily cherish so the mitzvahs. And they won't have pleasure of Mikhail mitzvahs. They'll do them only because I gotta do it. Almost automatic pilot. Kabbalah sale. Kabbalah sale, This is my obligation. Even if I don't enjoy it, and even if I don't really feel I want to do it, I'm doing it. Automatic pilot. By the time of the Beis Hamikdash, in the era of the Beis Hamikdash, I'm sorry, they did mitzvahs because they enjoyed it. They wanted to do the mitzvah. In Ikvus of the Meshicha, it's only because the Master wants us to. So when a person enjoys doing it, has pleasure from it, he differentiates between mitzvahs. There are those mitzvahs that are better, more enjoyable for him, and those that have lesser of a quote-unquote shelf value to him. And therefore those mitzvahs, eh, I do them also. But not with the same fervor, not with the same burn, same yearning, 
Therefore, however, when you're just doing a mitzvah because I was told to do this mitzvah, whether I understand, I don't understand, I want, I don't want, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant, I'm doing it. All these mitzvahs are equal. It doesn't matter the hardest or the easiest mitzvah, it's all the same thing to me. I just know I got to do the mitzvah. So therefore we see the two Pirushim. Two explanations. One is it's talking about the Meshich of the last days where people feel nothing as far as holy spiritual revelation. Then all the mitzvahs will be equal to them. And even the mitzvahs, the easiest ones that one steps on with their ankle will also come about. And the harder ones will be kept like the harder ones. With this we see the two explanations go hand in hand. That ultimately the one will do the mitzvahs the way they need to do them, because this is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded us. And the Pastor continues, you watch them, you'll do them. And you will do yours, God will do His. The promises that He had made, committed to your forefathers, He will do. The Klayakar, which is a little bit of Kabbalistic uh, commentary on the Torah, says, This shvua, this commitment, this promise was made unconditionally. Even if we did not do what we had to, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised unconditionally with pure love to our forefathers that there's nothing will get in His way. The commitment and the promise, the devotion and the dedication was total. So we're asking therefore the Bris and the Chesed. Chesed shows on all the different influences, even those that are not fit of getting it. So therefore, what is the Pusuk? How is the Pusuk actually giving a condition here of the Chesed, of the keeping of the Mishpatim, the Bris? How could you actually put a stipulation here? The whole pact was made to keep the bris and nothing that God will keep His side and nothing will have any impact negative, negatively way. In negative way. Negatively to it. Perhaps you could say when a person receives a gift for nothing, you did nothing to, receive, to earn it, you just got a gift. It's known as Nama de Sufa. It's a little bit humbling and embarrassing. Humbling bread. And the recipient is obviously humbled. He got something for nothing. We have people that don't mind getting something for nothing. They stereotype that the reason we have two tablets 
to Luchas, because the Jews were told, do you want the Torah? And they asked, how much is it? It says, free, you give us two. Generally, the general person does not like getting something for free. Let me do something for it. Let me earn what you're giving me. This is what the Pesach is letting us hear. That also this hashpo, this influence that comes from the highest of levels, that the Avedis Adam doesn't even get, the worst service of a person doesn't even reach to that level, the fit or the not fit, the recipients, no matter what they are worthy of or not worthy of, Hashem's kindness and compassion is upon us. And this is what he wants to say, this well, this as well will not be felt as Namadak Sufa. But rather a pact that Hashem does with Chesed, kindness. Completing the Shvur that our God gave us, gave us said to made to our forefathers. Said many times. We say in Birchas Hamazin, "Leili de Matnas Basar Vadam, the Leili de Halva Asam, Kiim Yadcha Amlei Absucha." Don't give me through gifts of people, through loans from people but from God Himself. From your open full hand. And we say that every time we wash and we eat bread and we bench. Are you not embarrassed to say that? Honestly. Who doesn't take sometimes a loan? Who doesn't accept a gift that's given to them? And is not happy about getting a nice gift. Nobody. But I have a better question. When's the last time you opened your email and said you got money from God? If you did, don't tell the IRS. Let it kiyotcha mleya psucha. I want it from your open hand. Seriously. Where did you ever get a check from God? We're saying the following. I am very aware that you say, and that it is said and written and brought down, Incoming. Okay, gifts are not taxable. We got a psak from the IRS immediately. HaKadosh Baruch says, all the money and the gold and the silver is mine. How does it work? God has distributed in the world. And He has His bankers the 
rich bankers that are sitting on this God's money have an obligation that when the poor person comes to him for a wedding, for this, for that, whatever it is, that he sees to it that this person is getting what he needs to have. Now the poor person, unfortunately, is humbled. I need to come take the money from you. Matnas basar vadam. What we are saying in benching is, don't make me feel that this boss of Adam, that this human being, is giving me this money. But that this money is coming from this person because he is your banker, because you, God Almighty, have given him the money so that when I need it, I will get it from him. Let me feel that that's how I'm getting it. Not feel humbled of the Nama the Sufa. Not feel humiliated. Being a recipient of money that's coming from the person rather than you, HaKadosh Baruch That is what we say. I should feel when I get this money that it's not coming from him, it's coming from you. Because a person in nature does not appreciate Nama Sufa. Bread that's of shame. So in that case, let us focus again on the Pasha. Chapter 8, verse 16. Posuk Ches Ve'ek Ches Posuk Tezayin Tells us the pasuk. Hamachilcha mon, hamachilcha zamon, leman anoisicha. I fed you the mon in the desert to torture you, to hunger you, to afflict you. Seriously? The mon tasted like anything you wanted it to taste. It was lechem in a shemayim, bread from heaven. It was a spiritual, godly food. It was not natural at all, and it had no pits, no bones, no shells, no anything. Pure, unlike that. This food, Pasik says, Hamachil Chaman, Lamana Noizcha. It didn't really satisfy the person. First of all, the man was given every single day, which meant that you got up in the morning, you got your mun. That was your mun for the day. When you finished your mun, 
There was no need for a refrigerator or for a cabinet or anything to store this, for there was nothing left. Tomorrow you got new, but right now you had none. This concept, if you're keeping score at home, it's a Gemara in Yuma, I indalit on the days, 74 side 2, tracted Yuma, that tells us, there's no comparison one that has bread in his basket to one that does not have bread in his basket two people walking in a desert One has a basket full of food and drink. One has none. They are walking the exact same distance. The stride, the gait of the person with the basket is firmer, more secure, more understanding, looking like a human being. Whilst the person without the basket is slumping over, is getting fatigued, the same distance, neither have eat, ate, or drunk. But yet, the man with the basket is walking, standing tall, and the man without is all slumped and exhausted. Because ain't it Damus, says the Yamara, there's no comparison one that has bread in his basket to one that doesn't have bread in his basket. The same is with the Mun. Irrelevant as to what the taste was, that it tasted whatever you wanted it to taste like. There's no comparison someone who sees their food and eats it, someone who doesn't see their food and eats it. And therefore, when you ate the mun, you might have tasted rib steak. You might have tasted pasta. You might have tasted whatever you wanted in your mind. But you didn't see it. Just like Gav. I'll go back and say something that I've said a million times as well. Medish Plia. Medish Plia says on this Pasuk, from here we learn out, Neder Shabbos Kedush. The pleasure, the ending of Neder Shabbos Kedush. What does it mean? Neder Shabbos Kedush are put on the table, candles of the Holy Shabbos are put on the table to light, to illuminate the table. In the olden days, you didn't have lamps, you didn't have lights. They illuminated your table so that you could see what you're eating. Because if you don't see it, you don't enjoy it. And since Karasa the Shabbos Einig, we need to have Einig Shabbos, pleasure on Shabbos. So therefore, you need to see what you're eating. How do we know that if you don't see it, you don't enjoy it? From the man. 
like we just described. The mud itself, though, had a very interesting. Give me a cup of cold salt, please, yeah? and put back the bottle. There's an interesting contradiction here. The poor men and the wealthy men ate this equally. This very same food that had whatever taste you wanted satisfied the rich man for his appetite and the poor man for his. And yet, you were hungry. Thank you. But the truth, in essence, is not a contradiction. But rather, both sides are one. The man itself, its etzim, its existence, was a wonder. It was godly bread with no boundary. And Dafka, because of that, when the man came down onto this physical world, this world of boundaries, they couldn't gather it like you gathered every other physical mundane thing. The gold rush, salt mining, whatever it might be, you couldn't grab, you couldn't get your hand on the man the same. The man itself actually materialized in different ways. And in different locations, depending on the spiritual spiritual level of the person, the tzaddik found the man by his door of his tent, ready to be eaten. The one that was not necessarily a tzaddik might have found it slightly removed from his door and not ready to be eaten, had to be prepared. However, you prepared it. And the wicked had to go out to get it. But yet, and therefore it was not something that physically was accessible like everything else. In in a nutshell, you did not see, again, like we said before, the food that you were tasting. You didn't see it. A sli- you didn't see a slice of pizza. You didn't see a falafel. You didn't see the chicken, or you didn't see the meat. You didn't see what you thought you were eating, but you tasted it. And there was no limit. If you had a Sephardi appetite or an Ashkenazi appetite, a Middle Eastern appetite, or a uh, some like spicy and some like less, there was no limit. It had whatever taste you thought of. He ate chont and he ate hamin. He ate it with hot sauce. He ate it with horseradish. <laughs> All right, stop stereotyping Jews. 
Therefore, it lacked the raya ve'echel, the seeing it and eating it. In order to accept the man the way you need to accept it, one needed to take themselves out of their little shell. Only then can a person actually understand and grasp what they were about to eat. The fact that the man was fed to them for 40 years was a preparation for the receiving of the Torah. And, excuse me, for entering into Eretz Yisrael and doing Torah mitzvahs. And this brings together the two different types, two opposites here. The rich and the poor person. The rich person falls into a little bit of a danger. What is his danger? Because he's so wealthy, he tends to sometimes think, I made myself rich. I am the one that brought this into me. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous test. Because the fact was, you look at the rich man, <laughs> there was a grocery chain called Wallbounds in New York. It's a big grocery chain. And Mr. Wallbounds himself was a nice eagle that was a Holocaust survivor. And they came to him to sign an invoice or a check. And he signed it with three X's. And the fellow says to him, Mr. Wolbaum, you don't know how to sign your name? <laughs> he says, let me tell you, my child. When I came to the Golden Medina of America, I was a Yid at Talmud Chochem, a learned Jew. I was able to read from the Torah on Shabbos. I had a decent voice. I was able to daven for the Yomid. I was able to lead the congregation. I knew the different laws that were involved in a basic Knesset. So I came to a shul and I said, I'd like to have a trial to become the Shabbos in the shul. And I said, wonderful. We're looking for a Shabbos. And I gave them a Shabbos. I gave them a Kriya Satayda. And I gave them the davening, and I gave them this, I gave them that. They were so happy with me. Came Sunday morning, they said, okay, we're going to sign a contract with you. So they gave me a pen to sign the contract. They said, I don't know how to sign my name. They said, you can't sign your name. Forget it. So I went out from the shul. I had a few cupcakes in my packet. And I saw somebody with some merchandise and I asked, can I buy that? He sold me the merchandise. I turned around, I sold it to somebody else and I made a profit. I bought more merchandise of something else and I turned that around and I sold it. And I started to deal and handle 
and I, Baruch Hashem built up my empire. If I would have been able to sign my name, I'd be the Shamus in the Shul. I've never made any money. I'd be on the salary of a Shul. So therefore, that, that's how the story goes. But didn't Mr. Waldam actually have the attitude of that saying that I made my empire on my own? What did he say? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed me. The Almighty blessed me and didn't give me the job as a shamus and a shul so that I could go around with merchandise and ultimately amass this wealth that I have. Hopefully he said the latter. Because this is a horrific test, a horrific sin that a person of wealth has, where he starts to think and feel, I did this on my own. The poor person, on the other hand, has probably an equal test, if not worse. The pauper, of course, suffering in poverty, doesn't know when the next meal is coming from, doesn't know how he's going to pay a bill, doesn't know how he's going to pay his rent, The children are not being allowed in the school because they can't pay tuition. The children's shoes are torn, the pants, the clothes are torn, ragged. Suffering. Suffering. Is this his own doing? No. He may have had a business that he lost. He may have had a job that he didn't succeed at. He may have seen an actual physical circumstance that put him into this situation. The IRS might have taken away and garnished his wages and his house and everything, put a lien on everything he owned. They do those things. It could have been explained in a zillion different ways as to how he reached this level of poverty. And it could be he never ever had money. And he always lived hand to mouth in less than that. This poor person looks at his neighbor with the money and the family and with the cars and with the boxes of groceries coming in and always in the nice newest clothing and he says, Why are you punishing me? Why are you treating me so poorly? It's a natural expression to say. Tells us the Teda that this poor person has also the same test. And he has to know. And he has to be able to say, there's no such thing as bad and evil that comes from above. The biggest pains, the biggest tortures, or as we say, a patch kumt von A slap comes from God. But it's never bad because if it comes from God. 
The man gives us the capacity to learn these two tracts. The rich man is humbled by the man. And he learns from the man that the riches come from above. And when he completes his portion of man, he does not have a portion until tomorrow where God once again recreates, unlike any other creation that God created, and allows it to look like it's existing on its own, or continuously existing, the man did not have that. The man had a shelf life of the daytime, and that's it. By the evening it was gone, it was nothing. The rich man is shown this does not have to do with you, my friend. The poor man, he learns from the man how God gives, how God supplies, how God's goodness and kindness is given to everyone. Not everybody gets it the same way. If you put your nose where it doesn't belong, you get flicked. And therefore, if you added, if your attitude is different than understanding that this is coming from God and this is the way God wants it to be, you won't come out smelling roses. Not only it won't help, it destroys a person. One needs to know, remember, on a constant basis, everything is from God. The good and the opposite. And thereby being happy, being joyous, and saying, thank you, Baruch Hashem. Blessed is God for everything. Kishem Shemevarchim. Just like we bless God for good, the same, the opposite. God didn't differentiate the rich man, the poor man, the tzaddik or the wicked. Everyone was given one. Explained before differently. They got them, got it differently, but everybody got. Nobody was forsaken. So the way that a person is able to take the proper lesson from the man to eradicate the attitude of Keiki Veitzim Yadi. Eradicate that thought, that train of thought that I am doing this, either making myself rich or poor. I rely fully on God. When one can totally wipe this clean, and one can totally accept that everything is coming from God and believes from God, and believes that God is the source of goodness and kindness. He then merits to see the blessing of all that he does from everything that he does and receives the best of the best in the physical world. But the same is spiritually, which we need to mostly apply, more so than the physical. 
how can one accept the light of Teda? Which Teda is called Lechem in Hashemayim, bread from heaven. And especially Pnimiyaz HaTeda, which Rebbe Levi Yitzchak was very, very determined that people learn the Pnimiyaz HaTeda, the deeps, the depths of Chassidus, etc., which aim up Salus. When you learn Chassidus, you don't have the Machlekes. When you learn a piece of Gemara, there's a Machlekes. This Tana holds this way, this Tana holds this way in Mishnah. This Amaida in the Gemara holds this way, this Amaida holds this way. They're both God's words. But I'm torn between this opinion and this opinion. They both sound so right. Because they both have a right to it. I just don't know how to apply it in my daily life. When it comes to Pnimi Zateda, the Chsidis, the Kabbalah, there's no black and white. It's pure, it's a direct line. Talks about godliness, talks about the Nishama, teaches us of how spiritually we connect to God. And therefore, ain't babe say this. There are no pits, bones, skin, peels. How does one become a recipient to this? By being an empty vessel. And knowing that I am nothing. I'd like to say that I know, and I'd like to say I'm knowledgeable, I'd like to say I'm intelligent. So, Zvisen, my kind, until you don't say, like Avram Vina said, I am nothing but dust. You're not a vessel to receive, you're not a recipient. When one does this though, when one reaches to the level and says, I am ready to hear, I am ready to learn, I want to hear, I want to learn, I want to amass more and more, because I don't have, I am nothing, offer. Then he is Zeichah, he merits to receive the beautiful light of the endless light of Torah. I'd like to get a Mishnah Pekiyavis. Don't have one handy. I'm sorry, I owe you. Maybe tomorrow I'll call you and I'll give you something on Pekiyavis. The Pasha also talks about and someone stole the clock here and didn't leave me enough time for this. Talks about the Luchais. He comes down with the Luchais and breaks the Luchais. Chapter 9, verse 17. Perik Tesh, Zayin. And we find in chapter 10, verse 7, Perik Tesh, Zayin, Rashi asks a question. After discussing the breaking of the Luchais, it talks about the passing of Aaron HaKoyin. Moshe's brother Aaron passed away. Why? What does one have to do with the other? And Rashi explains, Kosher, Kosher, Misosan Shel Tzadikim, Baruch Hu. The passing of Tzadikim is so hard for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kayeim Shenishtavru Be'eluches. 
just like the day that the luchas were broken. As Moshe mentions the story of the breaking of the luchas, Teras Emes compares two things. The luchas and the passing of a tzaddik. Breaking of the luchas and the passing of a tzaddik. What happened here in essence? Chazal tell us Obviously, of Nelson. Nistakil. He looked, Mesha looked, Bahen, at the Luches. And he saw the letters flew out. Omar said, Hechani Nesin Lehen, the Israelis are Luches. Shaimbe Mamash. How will I give them Luches that don't have Mamash in them? So he took them and he broke them. Echez. I'll take them and break them. Meshir Ben broke them because part of the letters flew out. The letters were engraved through and through. How did they fly out? And if the letters did fall out, and it was just a piece of stone, shouldn't be Ebed Mamish, be Ebed Klum. There's nothing there. Chazal wanted to know as follows. The letters were actually there. The spirituality that involved in the letters, they were no longer there. Letters. That's what flew out. When the holiness of the letters flew out, Moshe saw Sheimah Mamish. They didn't have any substantiality. They remained letters, but without Kedusha. And this is the comparison, the breaking of the luchis to the passing of a tzaddik. The Jew is like the luchis. He has a body, which is the physical part of the writing, and an ishama, which is the holy part, the kedusha of the writing, of the letters. The holy neshama, that's within a goof of a Jewish body, is like the writing of God. The writing that God wrote engraved in the Luchas. By a tzaddik we see it. By a righteous person we see how holy their neshama is. And when their neshama leaves their goof, it leaves a mundane body. Because their holiness has left. But... Since they never lived a physical mundane life, they believe they lived the Munna Yira Ava. Even in this world, in the physical world, you saw them living a spiritual life. When a tzaddik leaves, and then a shama goes out of the body, same way as the letters went out of the luchas. It remains a mundane physical body, but yet, it's still a body. And the main part of the Mahusa, the Tzaddik, the Neshama, the Holy Neshama, left and went Lamaila. And just like the letters flew by itself out from the Luchas, 
The same way is also with the tzaddik. The breaking of the broken lucas were kept ultimately in the Aron, the Ark, and this went to war. The Jews took this with them. This is a constant reminder that holiness of God mainly is within the person himself. But the lucas itself were in Behemamish. And this, therefore, is what takes us to, awa- to wake us, to awake us, awaken us, and to tell us why and how we go to a tzaddik, and why the miss of a tzaddik still has a holiness within itself. May we be zeicher that the tzaddik, Reb Levi Yitzchok, will be, as we said before, a Sheikh Neafar, and we will see all tzaddikim together once again. Leading us, Mashiach Tzidkenu, this very Shabbos, Yerushalayim Yerakadosh, the second of the Shiva Nechemta, should need no more Nechama, but we should be in Yerushalayim. Shabbat Shalom to all.